talk to you at the show tonight. Hey. Truck to the plane, to the truck, truck to the hotel lobby. Me, I go through underground garages, presidential suite on deposit, elevator up to the road, shower up and then we hit All right, folks, we're back once again, live in Greenwood and Crown Hill and quarantine. Bonjour, shalom, and a what's up? And welcome back to episode 93 of How You Living. That's right. 93, how you be uh, living in a quarantine existence live from the JPR studios here in Crown Hill and live once again from the Chaz Tower in the Million Dollar Studios. We have Chaz and we are here at How You Living. And uh, this show starts with a simple question for my friend and compadre in podcasting, Chaz. How you living? Uh, you know, I'm doing all right, all things considered. I know it's been about a month since we recorded last, and still sitting here in social distancing, not quarantining, because to my knowledge, I haven't caught the Rona yet, but you never know with how things are going. But overall, like, I've ordered a bunch of stuff in the mail, and it's come. Um, I've been doing delivery. Overall, I can't complain, because I'm right with privilege in all of this, but uh, but I guess the the state of affairs and how... The country as a whole is treating it is mildly annoying, but we can talk about that later. How about you, Mikkel? Uh, yeah, things are going good. I, I did complete the move. Uh, we are in the now fourth iteration of the JPR Studios in our new uh, second floor apartment here in the Crown Hill neighborhood, which is just west of Greenwood for those wondering the geography of the Seattle neighborhoods. Um, but yeah, things are good. Um, staying, staying healthy. Uh, still working in the hospital, so uh, I am present around people that um, have to get ruled out from the quarantine existence of Corona, whether or not they have it. Um, the numbers, luckily, in my anecdotal uh, existence, have simply gone down. So I'm seeing uh, less cases directly from a personal standpoint, um, which is a good sign. Um, the number of people coming into the ER is steadily increasing as people, I think, who are staying away for different ailments for fear are starting to kind of want to get um, their healthcare issues addressed. And so, in general, more people are uh, returning to normal as far as their uh, healthcare needs. So, we'll kind of yet to see what that does to the uh, cases. But, uh, you know, as an essential worker, I have to keep uh, keep afloat and keep going. and. Uh, Hopefully, uh, hopefully the numbers stay low. Um, so uh, this show uh, has now done 92 previous editions. Uh, likes to look back on those previous editions in a segment we call callbacks. Callbacks. <laughs> and uh, I know it's been a month, so sometimes it's hard uh, for the short-term memory in us all. To, uh, to recall the things that we've talked about. But Chaz, is there anything on your mind that we've already spoken about that we want to bring back up for the listeners to kind of add to the storyline? So kind of because I just want to talk about coronavirus and the different effects it's having um, across the U.S. I kind of just want to make this about indecision 2020. And I only want to get this out of the way because I know some people are going to be like, so Joe Biden said this thing is you don't vote for me, you ain't black. Right. And oh and I know people are going to want to talk about that. And I really don't like I honestly couldn't care less that he said it. 
right? I mean, I'm miffed by it. I'm annoyed by it. And I'm glad Charlemagne the God was like, no, my G. Like, you know, we gave you this victory. So what are you going to do for us black people? I get it, right? And that's all I really care about it. And the other thing I wanted to add to that is Trump actually put out T-shirts on his store like 24 hours after he said it, which which is some marketing chops, to, to say the least. But that that's kind of like where I'm at, like where this presidency is weird. Like every single primary that has happened, we keep forgetting that primaries are happening around places. The Hawaiian yeah. primary, uh, Biden took that. So, you know. Oregon primary was last week. Yeah. So, I mean, <sighs> like Biden, stop giving us reasons not to want to vote for you when those margins are thin. Um, yeah. I think I do want to do a little bit more of an expose, uh, cause I watched a video from this YouTube channel, second thought, and they kind of use that political compass thing, that political test to kind of show you where you are on the X and Y axis of like authoritarianism versus libertarianism and economic right versus economic left and where they put Joe Biden and, um, Trump n near each other. They were like, Trump was higher on the authoritarian level. Um, but when it came to like economics, they were like right next to each other. So it, it was very interesting to see the differences there. And it was also made kind of a critique that American politics, when you look at the left side of things, isn't very left. Like if you look at Bernie Sanders, who I'm a Bernie Sanders stan, but even Bernie Sanders is only a scotch to the left of the axis where like I primarily fit in like that lower green portion, but I need to take it again to see if that's changed. But and kind of made this thing where, like, you know, there isn't really a left in the United States. But yeah, I digress. That's all I really wanted to say. Like, I wanted to get the Joe Biden shit out of the way so we could just yeah. respond coronavirus. <clears throat> right. And in in discussing that, I did uh, see a little bit on some of the Sunday shows as well as um, listening to uh, Bill Maher's interview with uh Michael Moore in how, uh, you know, Biden, it, Biden could lose this on, you know, quotes and statements alone. If, if the, if the margins, like you're saying are so razor thin and those battleground States that are nece necessary to win, don't see him as a candidate that a can beat Trump. Cause there is this kind of faction of people that don't really have politics in their mind. They just don't want to vote for the losing party. Mm -hmm. And, um, if he kind of shows faltering in his own base, you're going to get a lot of those people voting for the Republicans. And especially as um, Michael Moore pointed out, he's not losing any of his 44%. Like the people not that love him and, and adore him as, you know, the, the savior king for our country are, are going to continue to vote for him. And so the, the margin is really a, the people who didn't participate in the election last time, or people who were on the fence and recognized that the job he's done hasn't provided them the services and the economy and the and the kind of reaction they expected to electing him hopefully switch back. Um, you know, I don't think we're going to see the uh, what was it the Rainbow Coalition or whatever that uh, the kind of Obama era had for our Democratic team. It, it, if we win this, it's going to be by you know between three and five percent perhaps. Oh yeah. And, Obviously, it, it is looking like, and you know, polls are all bullshit, but it is looking like the political, uh, the popular vote will go to the Democrats, and the margin actually could be larger this time. Um, but it is going to, as always, come down to those electoral votes, uh, which put certain states in question, Pennsylvania, Ohio, 
uh, Minnesota, Wisconsin, and and those have been, um, you know, Trump battleground states in the last election. Sorry for the uh, laundry alarm there. It's literally sounds like a uh, an air siren. So <laughs> we're not under attack. Uh, my laundry is done. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, did you have any other kind of things to call back on? Um, not really. There, yeah, there haven't really been any storylines I've seen that are specific outside of Corona. So with that, folks, uh, we step into the episode of 93 and... Uh, here we like to uh, kind of focus in on a topic or two. Uh, I might bring up something that's a little lighthearted, and then we kind of sum it all up, give you something positive to look forward to or work on, and uh, and hopefully uh, you know come back to see you and eventually one day together in the same room. Yeah. So, uh, from quarantine edition, I believe four. Uh, what's on your mind this week, Chaz? Well, first I want to start it with this week in fake news because we have Trump and. Trump really, is, well, I really just want to talk about the ineffectiveness of the Fed and all this and how they kind of just said, let's leave it up to the states. And now we've gotten to the point where, you know, summer's about to happen. Memorial Day is the unofficial start of summer. Um, this is where we get the three-day weekend. We're doing barbecues and everything like that. And it's really in a lot of states are now reopening, like Texas totally reopened. And we'll see where that goes. But I think the interesting thing here is, I guess I'm going to combine, like, America as a mindfuck and this whole thing, because they all kind of intersect with each other. Because my thoughts right. on it is that, like, America is technically reopening and everything, but also at the same time, that doesn't mean people aren't going to continue to stay home. And and if people are privileged enough to stay home, I feel like they are going to stay home. Um, tech has basically said everybody can work from home until the end of the year. Um, there's been other places like the Jack Dorsey um, companies of Twitter and Square that says you can work from home forever. And wow. yeah, so I think like this is really an interesting shift in our economy here. And I get that. Um, <clears throat> and sort of to kind of talk about this a little bit more is that I get that there are a lot of people who are like who need to go back to work because they're not making any money. And I feel like that plays right into the government that wasn't willing to say, hey, even though we did this uh, $3 trillion thing, a lot of that money didn't go to the people, and a lot of that money didn't go towards people maintaining their status quo. And right. when you do that, like $1,200 is not going to get anybody anything, right? That's maybe rent for some people and not rent for others. That's maybe half of a mortgage for people who have mortgages and can't work, so... I feel as though, like, if the Fed was being effective, they would have taken a much higher role in this whole thing. And I also feel as though they would have done um, rent and mortgage moratoriums. They would have gave a continuous uh, monetary amount, like maybe 1200 every month or 2000 every month for each person in your home. Who knows? But something that says, here's enough money for you to shelter in place so we have enough time, not only just to flatten the curve, because... I think we talked previously um, when people thought that uh, flattening the curve was the only thing that we're supposed to do. And Seattle uh, being at one point in time the epicenter of the outbreak because the first person who was known to have a case and actually be put in self-isolation and quarantine because of it was here. Even though I think there are some tests now that says that it might have been here in December based on I don't remember the actual tests. Um, I'll probably need to bring that back for a callback. But that says that some people in California had it in December. But yeah. as soon as we like as soon as we knew it was becoming a big deal, 
we went into lockdown. And then, of course, like, because in the state we have blue people living in the cities, which is usually western Washington, and red individuals living in rural and farmland, which is usually eastern Washington, we have seen the clashes of, like, you know, where I might think that Jay Inslee is doing a great job, you know, having us hunker down, having us flatten the curve, but also having a steady, a steady approach to reopening that is going to make sure that we don't actually um, come in close contact with a lot of people in large places, in large spaces, in large indoor spaces. I think he's doing a great job. But when you push that against that, a lot of people need to be out there, need to interface with people, and need to exchange goods and services on the marketplace, and they can't because of that. I can see where people are having issues there, too. And, and I don't think that makes him a bad governor. I just think that there is that missing piece, which is the federal government, not doing uh, what they, I think, should be doing here in order for us to maintain social distancing for as long as we need to. Um, but it, it, like, but that's where I'm at right now. How about you, Mikkel? Well, yeah, and it, it also, you know, it's it's part of, you know, the idea of saving the economy is how we move money around. Mm -hmm. And so our effectiveness and ability to spread the buck and 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 utilize local businesses or small businesses um, is is important to kind of stabilizing the economy. And, you know, the fact that Walmart, Target and Amazon are, you know, netting uh, record breaking profits right now. And, you know, every other business on the market is falling behind and or closing. Um, you know, you wonder what economy are they even going to have to save if they don't provide the base, you know, the American people, specifically the middle class, but also not leaving anyone else behind. Uh, they always say the middle class is the driver of the, uh, the U.S. economy. Um, what are we what are we really going to have? You know, if we if we literally just have big box stores and Amazon when we get out of this, where's everyone going to work? You know, where 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 is this? uh you know, are we are a perpetual unemployment country and all these other things? And and, you know, those states right now, they extended the benefits. They added the stimulus bump of, of I think it's around six hundred dollars a week for mm -hmm. those who are um, completely unemployed. But those numbers don't say what that can do long term. And most of those states are already exhausting those resources and starting to run into deficits. So what you're going to start seeing is other programs getting cut. So other people are going to be the uh, the victims of, of these uh, extended unemployment benefits. And so it's not a long term solution to it. And I don't think it was ever designed to be. But if we come back from this and there's no place for those people to work, it's there's a lot of question as to what we're going to do. Um, and I, I think with social distancing, with masking, with proper, um, you know, cleanliness methods and, and sanitizer and that type of thing, we can definitely knock this down and keep it at bay for the, the next year, year and a half that we need to in order to perhaps uh, eradicate it from the planet and specifically from our country as we're, we're talking about that right now. But, you know, our institutions and even our, our social dynamics weren't developed for that at the time. I mean, even the hospital I work in is is on a weekly basis adjusting practices and stuff to, to, to better serve um, these measures. Because, you know, an ER was meant for people to come in and, like, be present and be around each other and be, you know, in contact with nurses and with techs and with x-rays um, personnel and 
And and now you're having to kind of create this this distant strategy. And then let alone restaurants and barbershops and and all these other services that aren't developed for social distancing. Even if you have the one-on-one contact and you're like, okay, I'm going to cut this person's hair. I'm going to not cough. I'm going to be wearing a mask and I'm going to wash my hands during and right after. The separation of the chairs might not be six feet in most barbershops, you know? And and what is even the, the cost of doing that business? If you can only get two or three haircuts an hour, can you pay the rent in, in Atlanta or in Los Angeles or Seattle? So, you know, it's the whole system as a whole has to look at pandemic resourcing and how how it's going to allow businesses to, to thrive and, and respond to this. And like you said, we're going to get a lot of examples from Wisconsin and Texas and these other places that are just kind of carte blanche opening. Um, and, and, and we should pay attention to, to what happens and, uh, and, and see. Um, my estimation is the, the number of cases will go up. That's my, my hypothesis to that. So um, we'll see. Now, I don't think if it doesn't go up, it's a direct answer of, see, opening up is fine. Uh, there's definitely a great deal of luck and, and circumstance that comes into play. And if just the right number of people don't interact with enough people who are infected, you can have a functioning society that's open during a pandemic. But as we've seen in other places like Europe, um, just a couple or even in those churches that opened and then immediately two weeks later closed because parishioners as well as workers in the church came down with the virus, um, you know, just a couple people can infect hundreds. So uh, we'll uh, we'll have to keep an eye on those states, and uh, <clears throat> you know, ultimately there is there is a measure of reality to this that you know some form of opening and and a way out of this does have to be seen and and made into plan. So it's finding that way out. Um, yeah, I think lack, lack I, of leadership I, at the top has hurt the whole system. Though. It really has, and I think like right now with the reopening, I think there's two things to um to take into consideration. There is that things are technically open, but there's also will people go? And then the also the other thing too is because I see people complaining like there seems to be this idea going around that if you wear a mask, you're a sheep. And like for the individuals who maybe believe that coronavirus is a hoax or, you know, some government conspiracy or whatever, and I'm not going to wear a mask. And if I wear a mask, I look like I'm a sheeple. I don't like that idea because the whole point of wearing a mask is to like while you have to be out at the moment, like if you're going to the supermarket to buy things um, or if you're like out and about, I even wear mine even when I'm like going for a walk. But and I'm usually a little weirded out when people don't have them on when they're going out for a walk. But maybe I'm hypersensitive to like the security of all that. So I don't know about other people. Um, but also like the thing about six feet is what people keep forgetting about six feet is six feet isn't a maximum safe distance. It's a minimally safe distance. Right. right? And and then I, I have, I since the beginning, I've been trying to listen to the medical experts and everything. And what they've been saying is, like, if you, like, walk past a person that doesn't have a mask, you're least likely. You're not, I mean, there's still some risk there, but you're not going to get it. And if you both have masks on and you walk past them, then, you know, that is the minimum uh, safety that you can have right now. Um, given the fact that we don't have large enough testing and large enough contact tracing for us to be able to say, oh, hey, these are the people who have it. Please quarantine yourself so you don't 
um, give it to someone else because it's a virus. And even though it's a virus that 80% of people, it seems, only have mild to no symptoms, then there's the uh, 20% of people who have uh, symptoms that leave them to be hospitalized, either needing oxygen or being put on a ventilator. And it doesn't say for how long they need to be put on a ventilator either. Some people only need to be on a ventilator for a few days. There's been cases out there where people have been on ventilators for six weeks. So it's like it's hit or miss when it comes to things like that. And then there's the individuals who die from it, either because they have pre-existing conditions that we think are the ones that um, lead them to death higher or just because it doesn't even seem like that's everything. Um, it does seem like there's some people who die because of it because they were unlucky. And I can only say that because we don't have enough medical information to really break down why they died from the virus or if they died from complications of the virus or if they died from complications of their pre-existing condition that was exacerbated by the virus. And, right. and so I feel like there's still a lot of information that needs to be done there. And every time it pushes back against like, oh, yeah, we're going to go out and we're going to do things. I do think like some of the cases are going to go up. Um, but I guess if we use kind of how uh, Rick DeSantis of Florida um, kind of took it where like people were like, oh my God, there's so many people at beaches and they, and they could see like at spring break, given like how packed the beaches were, that seems like it was ripe territory for the coronavirus to spread. But then I also look at the beginning of this where I think it was, um, the, the princess cruises line, um, that one that was off of the course of Japan. And it seemed like only about a third of the individuals who were on that ship contracted it. And it was very interesting to see that, like, one guy who was very famous and did a few interviews um, that I listened to, that he was put in quarantine, I believe, in uh, Oklahoma after he came back and was flew back into the States from being on there. His wife didn't get it, and to my knowledge, still hasn't gotten it, and he did. So it makes me, and like I've said before, it makes me very interested to see how in close proximity do you need to be to a person to get it? Um, how many droplets do you need to breathe in? How often is like uh fragments or shedding of the virus going to be in those droplets and i think one of the most paramount things that i think people always forget about this virus is asymptomatic carriers and that's where like like we all like all of the rules say wash your hands even though now the cdc says that maybe it's um contact through surfaces isn't as large as they once thought but that doesn't mean you shouldn't wash your hands it just means you probably can be a little bit more cautious about like not as concerned about getting it that way as long as you have proper hygiene but what's getting me is that like when people are in close spaces like um that super spreader of the individuals who did the choir thing and they were all together and i think about half of the people there got it with two people dying from it so with rick DeSantis saying that like yeah you can go to the beach um and it doesn't seem to spread as widely outside but as soon as you go indoors and, like, you're partying and everything, it seems to spread a lot quickly or a lot yeah. more quickly. And the thing that gets me is before this, like, before we went into actual lockdown, like, I went to a bar and played trivia twice. And the second time I went to a bar to play trivia, it was packed. And I remember talking to a person where he said, I just saw um, Contagion again. And it made me think how many people here are vectors. And that's what I thought, too, because I had just come back from Geek Bowl. I was in Chicago. Chicago had a few cases there. And then I went out and I don't know if I've had it, right? Like I, I did yeah. feel sick like 
a few weeks ago, but it felt more like an infection I get when there's food stuck in my teeth, more so than there is coronavirus because I was sneezing. And you don't really sneeze when you have coronavirus, apparently. So, well, and I know there, um, the validity of these tests are are in question to a degree. Um, mm-hmm. So far, the the highest validity test is the swab test, although it's a very difficult test, and it's it's actually easy for practitioners to do it incorrectly. So there is a possibility of uh, millions of false negatives coming out of the swab test, but the swab test by far is the most accurate of any test that we have to date regarding coronavirus. But um, I would say, I mean, for, for you and I as kind of in the public to a degree with this podcast, uh, we, should, we should call up our uh, health insurance agencies and find out what the coverage is for uh, antibody testing. And if it's within a reasonable cost structure and there's a spot or clinic that we can go do that, uh, we should uh, uh, go do that. And, you know, maybe, as I said, the validity of them is, is in question, but, um, you know, we should see because it would be interesting to find out if either of us, um, just as an anecdotal test, as well as um, kind of to get a little insight into to how those tests work or how they explain them, uh, you know, because I do know they're starting to open the antibody testing here in Washington State. Um, I think they've lowered the restrictions on who can get them to a degree. I definitely know I qualify because I work in healthcare, but I think to a degree um, you can you can get them as just an outpatient request through your medical provider. So that would be an interesting uh, kind of experiment slash um, just exercise of, of you know, and, and from what I understand, I mean, I know that the Joe Rogan podcast, he's been uh, issuing uh, anybody testing to anybody who's come into his studio in the last I, close to two months, I think now. Oh, wow. Okay. He's conducting um, in-person interviews, although um, he's talked about that the air circulation has been improved in the in the studio and that the distance from him to the guest is just around six feet. And if the guest wants to wear a mask, they can wear a mask. Um, otherwise, you know, just kind of maintaining the distance as well as uh, washing hands. But he does test them prior and um, he, he was kind of anecdotally saying easily 30 to 50 percent of people come in claiming to have been sick in the window of, of opportunity, you know, the December through March window. And none of them have come back positive for either antibodies or um, the fighting the infection antibody. So it is an anecdotal evidence that and that's something I think in my friend group, we all think there's a possibility we already had it. I, I think generally the flu season runs from about November through February, March. And I think I typically get some type of uh, cold during that uh, era. I do also get a flu shot every year. And I think I was sick. It was either the last week of December or the first week of January. And so I have some speculation that I had it during that era as well. So it'd be an interesting experiment to try and put a little bit of clarity to that. Um, And once again, the validity is in question. So it doesn't necessarily outright say whether we had it or not, if it comes back negative and or positive. So for sure. And to talk about the validity of the test, because I did briefly read an article that said, um, I believe it was the CDC or I forget who it was, but there, because of the urgency of needing tests, both um, the swab to see if you are a current carrier of the virus, and the they antibody test to see if you've they, had it. 
they expedited the passage of the, the the ability for them to be used. Right. And I know that there there was four of them that gave a pretty good, a pretty consistent um, uh, validity, both for the swab and the antibody test. So I would want to go back and continue to read some articles and try to find the uh, the makers of the test that has the most validity and then cross-reference that where, because for me, um, because I used to go to a neuropath and I one of the hardest adult things that I still haven't figured out is how do you go through the stages of finding a primary care provider? <laughs> and <laughs> so I, I am a weak sauce on that because I don't have a primary care um, provider. Every time I have issues, I go to Zoom care. And I right. probably would go to Zoom Care for this. So I would want to ask Zoom Care, hey, what antibody tests are you actually doing? And then cross-reference that with um, the test that independent um, labs have been doing for the validity of it. And then if it's like, yeah, this matches, then I would want to go there and get an antibody test. If it didn't, then I would hold off and wait until the antibody test becomes more accessible. And I would still treat it as Schrodinger's uh, virus. Like I will, even if I don't feel sick, I will still act as though that I have it. And right. wear a mask everywhere that I go. Make sure that I'm not shedding the disease, right? Washing, mm-hmm. isi- social isolating, isolating as much as I can. And I can't even say as much as I can. Like, the only time I leave the house is to um, buy things from a local bar that has been doing pop-ups Thursday through Saturday because I want to support them and I want them to come back because we play trivia there every week. So, shout out Hounds too. Yeah, shout out <laughs> Hounds too, right? So that's... Um, well, uh, to two points on there. Uh, one, uh, as the, uh, uh, podcast healthcare, uh, expert, um, I would suggest <laughs> either looking in some form of online portal for your benefits package through mm-hmm. your company, not to be named, we don't have to put names out there, but, uh, and, and see if there's, uh, there should be a list or, uh, a general access to the list of providers in your area that accept your insurance or at least a definition of the specifics of your insurance and then you can kind of google map or whatever local providers in a in a, in a region of space around you um i would typically go with kind of the bigger players because then you can find out if one of them has your accepted insurance then you'll you'll have multiple places you can go uh here in washington you know kaiser polyclinic uw medicine swedish those type of places um but uh, the other place is to the website of your actual insurance often has a list of providers in your area. And through those, you can find out it's usually based on a tiered system. So it can be either two or three tiers. Usually um, the most accepted network would be the cheapest cost to you personally. Uh, the next one down would cost a little more to you out of pocket. And the third one is usually essentially like it's not covered, but they're paying out maybe 15% and mm-hmm. you're paying the bulk. Um, when you get it in the tier one level, typical insurance, uh, super good insurance is 10% you pay. Um, kind of average insurance, I'd say, is around 25 to 30%. And then, you know, sometimes people have subpar insurance. It's just what they were able to get. Um, you might be in the 40 or 50% range as far as cost out of pocket. So, gotcha. Yeah, I, and, I, and as someone, um, you know, I have to ask that question as a registration person to everybody. If they have a primary care, and I would say you're not in the minority. In fact, the majority of people don't currently have them. And I would say it is a really good thing. And it's something we need to think about as a country and a society when we're healthy is when we move, when we get a new job is to establish a primary care. 
someone or a location that we can reference even about the simpler questions because uh, uh, in-network annual checkup it usually can run you about $20, whereas even a Zoom care, urgent care is maybe between $100 and $150, mm -hmm. and then uh, an ER visit could be anywhere between $500 and 1000 So uh, it is something I actually advocate whenever someone tells me, no matter what age they are, oh, I don't have primary, I'll go, oh, well, I've noticed you have this insurance, just so you know, we offer or these partner organizations offer primary care. You might want to seek it out. It is something that's available to you and can even be helpful in times when you're healthy or feeling healthy. So, yeah, just kind of a, a shout-out side note there. Um, you're not alone, but it would be something that would help Americans, and it also would help the, take away some of the burden from our emergency rooms. As someone who works in an emergency room, um, I will never turn anyone away, and I'll never tell anyone they shouldn't come in, but there are definitely a large portion of people that are seeking services through emergency room that they could get through primary care or even through the systems you're using at, like Zoom care and urgent care. So, you know, a little side topic there. No, uh, for sure. And it's definitely one of those, like, urgent but uh, not urgent but important things that I've been holding off on because grown-ass adults love to hold off on urgent, not urgent, but important things. So After that whole diatribe, I currently don't have a dentist. So <laughs> Oh, I, could, I have a – I don't know how your insurance is, but I do have a dentist. And I love yeah, I my dentist. Insurance, but I don't. Yeah. So Ooh, that's my okay. Insurance. I'm going to tell you about my dentist after this is all over. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Right. But yeah, I do want to go on that journey. I do want to tell y'all how it goes. Cause I know like I had one growing up. Um, actually, and interestingly enough, just as a small aside, I had a primary care physician that I went to for all my checkups, for all my tests. Like we went there, uh, let me see every year. And I try to do all of my, um, monthly or sorry my yearly checkup things in november because at a previous place where i worked we would always have a wellness fair in november so that's when i got hooked up with everything um yeah. and through that wellness fair i still have my eye doctor that i still need to go to and i don't have my dentist anymore from that but i do have a dentist that's super local that i can walk to that i love that that like i needed to get like a root canal and a crown and a whole bunch of fillings and it was great it was awesome i love them uh, anytime somebody needs a dentist, I'm like, please go to Banner Dental. They, this is not a paid sponsorship. This is because I didn't really like the dentist growing up, but I like them. And there you anyway, go. So, right. so yeah. So I guess I guess is it time for a, like a lighthearted subject? Yeah, yeah. And so you know, uh, we're doing a little truncated version here because both of us have some uh, opportunities we need to get to this afternoon. So I'll mm -hmm. do kind of a shorter diatribe. Um, I just since I'm always the guy who's talking about sports. Um, I wanted to give a, a little sh uh, shout out to a few of the responsible return to sports that we have right now. Uh, most uh, famously, currently, because they're further along in their return, is the Korean Baseball Organization, a.k.a. the KBO. Oh, nice. Uh, returned to live sports action two weeks ago in front of rousing crowds of mannequins. And as mm -hmm. reported uh, from one soccer stadium, uh, Sex Dolls, uh, which was inappropriate due to the uh, rules of the <laughs> post-pandemic sporting world. So no sex dolls in the stadium, folks. Mannequins only or <laughs> uh, for all you leagues listening out there. Uh, but yeah, return to baseball. It, it's um, it's 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 been great. I mean, they baseball is kind of the ones that people kind of cited as one that could be social distance. I mean, the only time you're really next to someone is when um, you're you know on base and they're you know, the first baseman and the, and the runner. Uh, the players are allowed to wear masks. 
Um, there's definitely a cleanliness to it. And it also, I like it because it's um, showing a league that didn't get a lot of kind of international airtime. And especially here in the States, you know, ESPN immediately upon Korean baseball opening day began broadcasting the games live. And, and that's how desperate for live sports coverage ESPN was. They were like, we don't even, we just, we're just going to go and we're going to start it and everyone will come. And, and it's been great. It's, uh, you know, as far as baseball leagues go, the Korean baseball league is one of the best leagues in the world. Uh, they, it has super talent. It's, uh, it's been known for a, a farm of pitchers to the, to the major leagues here in the Americas, as well as, uh, some pretty solid, uh, hitters. Um, Obviously, we've heard a little bit more about Japanese baseball with the the likes of like Ichiro here in Seattle and things. But uh, Korean rivals uh, their Japanese uh, league in in just about every capability that they have, and uh, and it's been fun. It's it's real baseball, and I think what we're gonna see is kind of a, a repercussion of all that is uh, some of these Korean players once the pandemic limits here, we're gonna see them come over to Major League Baseball because. Ooh. It's, you know, scouts traveled there to get information, but that's a long travel. But now they're just sitting at home during a pandemic with nothing to watch, watching these players. They're getting a better idea of players that they wouldn't have otherwise. We're getting a lot of film, you know, the way ESPN Plus and TV.YouTube works. You can watch the games in perpetuity. Oh. And so, you know, people can, can rewatch and watch and, and get examples. Also, I think a lot of college players or players who didn't make it in the draft are going to reach out to these uh, Korean baseball organizations and, and see about getting um, some field time overseas. And so it'll be an interesting kind of uh, exchange of ideas. And, and so far to date in the, I think, three weeks of operating baseball there, no new cases of coronavirus amongst players, staff, or uh, sportscasters. So uh, it's, it's an interesting, and then, um, I haven't been able to watch any of it, but I do know that the German soccer league known as the Bundesliga, uh, opened play last week to empty stadiums. And, uh, so far, um, it has not resulted in any new cases and it, um, is a welcome, uh, site for the world that craves its soccer. So um, we're going to probably get a return to the EPL, which is the English Premier League. Oh, uh, yeah. One of the most watched soccer leagues in the world um, sometime in July. And then this just out today, uh, it looks like the NBA is going to be working out a plan to house all 32 NBA teams and the staff within the confines of Disney World, Orlando. And have all the teams live and play out their games in the sports facilities that accompany the Disney World Resort. And so the wow. NBA should set to return and uh, finish their season, which was just about to hit into the playoffs it's sometime in July. Most likely all housed within Orlando. And there's like two or three basketball complexes within that so they can play, you know, that number of games a day or at least, you know, multiple times they can reset the court. And um, it, you know, is to be known in the coronavirus talk that the NBA lockdown is one of the kind of canaries in the coal mine for the response of the United States. Mm -hmm. uh, there was that famous Rudy Gobert. Uh, interview where he touched all the mics and kind of made it a point to be like, you know, fuck this you guys. And then he immediately got sick with coronavirus. And so 
the the league took it more seriously than that time most governors or the national administration and um and shut shut everything down and that literally was followed by hockey by baseball by you know other leagues around the country mls Mm -hmm. and uh college basketball so you know uh just kind of a shout out to our uh sports i think you know a lot of people brush it off you know go sports ball but uh i do think sports is a piece of the fabric of our world um i think because it you know, it, it attributes a lot to kind of the the statement of teamwork. It, it attributes a lot to the statement of hard work, mm-hmm. of, uh, of achievement and goal setting and, and competition. And, and all these things are, are good to carry through our lives. And I think, you know, you know, this summer we're going to miss out on the Olympic Games that were postponed from Tokyo. Yeah, and, I'm sad and, about and that. Yeah, and that's, you know, it's... it's uh, Sports, you know, they're not the most important thing in the world, but they're not the least important thing. And I think it's important for us to recognize the value of having something like that just as a pastime, as a, as a, as a leisure activity for us to enjoy or for something for us to strive to, to achieve. And, and I think you, you'll see it in pretty much every sport. There's some type of humanitarian that's came out of it. There's some type of, you know, science endeavor person that's come out of it, like, the, the types of people that participate in sports are literally a example of every type of person that's out there. And just the fact is, there's probably a sport out there for you. Uh, you know, you just may not have found it. And, and I think the Olympics are kind of one of those opportunities. We get to watch a lot of sports we don't um, typically see in this country mm-hmm. or, or have access to. So um, <clears throat> shout out to those leagues that are, are being cautious but uh bringing us back live sporting events and i hope to uh everyone out there that we continue to listen to the science and medical staff and allow for eventually a uh end to this pandemic and a return to the sporting world and that's my uh that's my interlude topic sir <laughs> yeah no no that's a good one it's interesting to see how sports are going to handle this and it was interesting to see like everything being shut down because, yeah, it just goes to how much of our economy, even though a lot of it is not essential, deals with us like going going out to places. So I guess like for my thing, because I really wanted to talk about like the economy in this and really how like even if we do, we're not going to come back to 100 percent, even if everybody, all 50 states are like, your shutdown is over. Right. I do know some people are trickling in like. I have seen on my Facebook page that I I saw one person actually in a restaurant, like sat down in a restaurant having food and stuff. It was in Montana. So it was definitely in a place that has had some of the lowest amount of spread. And I had another friend who actually visited their family in South Dakota and they seem all right for right now too. So it's very, but just looking at like, how I would plan my like week to week sort of thing. Like I'm not in an office. I'm not communicating with the people in the office. I'm not sitting around the big table like we would at lunchtime to talk with each other and just have fun there. I'm not going to like sometimes on Tuesdays, I would go to my friends uh, Liz and Nick's quiz at a local bar. And I know they did some pop up stuff that one of my friends told me about that they're doing hot dogs and such. But and that's not like getting us in there. Like sometimes I'd go there on a Tuesday, you know, have a few drinks, shoot the shit with the people there and it'd be all good. And that doesn't even begin to say the two trivias that I would host on Mondays and Wednesdays 
those aren't happening. And I know my venues are actually, you know, doing food service, but how much is that actually going to increase Pay the bottom line? Yeah, exactly. So it's hard, right? Like I do wish, like honestly, like we were in a place where I know the government would choose to have a deficit or like did you like we already are in a deficit because of like what we did for our tax structure in 2018. And we're hitting even more of a deficit because of this huge stimulus package. But I do feel um, just like looking at the gestalt and everything that that stimulus package was really ineffective for what needs to be done in the long term. And I think that like we are reopening now. But I think the worst in a lot of ways, maybe I'm being a little bit pessimistic about this, but I think the worst is yet to come. Like hopefully the summertime it makes it go down and people can gain a boost in their um in their funds through like people going out, people going to beaches, people buying things for like cookouts and stuff like that. But also at the same time, I feel as though like some people are still going to stay home. I know I'm most likely going to be staying home. Um, I, and I'm going to try to order things, but in, in this is Memorial day, um, or the day before Memorial day that we're recording this. And on Memorial day, I'd be going to my local store. I'd be buying a case of beer or maybe some Trulies or maybe some Arnold Palmers. I would also be buying meat so I could marinate it and then grill it, buying some ground beef so I can make burgers, burger buns, you know, and maybe other little incidental things too. Like sometimes I would get a whole bag of shrimp and then put shrimps on skewers and make herb butter. I need to buy the herbs. I need to buy the butter. There's all these things that I'm not going to buy because I'm trying to stay safe from coronavirus. And right. and I know and I know that is um, going to be a strain on some people who definitely sees this as the like even going back to when I was an Airbnb host and I know Airbnb is fucked right now. Like I know they've had laid-offs, but when summer hit, I went from like in winter time, I think my capacity or like my the, like out of 30 days it'd be like maybe 10 days I would have people during the summertime if I had a missing day it's because I was like F it I need a break and and that that like level of travel even though I know some people have travel planned for 4th of July and some people have plans for like the end of July like how many people are going to still maintain that like what places are going to be open for them to give their patronage to it's really interesting just to see how people driven our economy is, even though we do like to specialize very heavily in our each individual roles and in our different jobs and how sometimes there's this underlying sentiment of like, well, if you're not making enough money, get a better job. But but like the, the what some of the lowest uh, paying fields that we have right now of essential workers are the ones who are out there in the trenches, putting their lives at risk and plenty of people um, being out there have died because they've contracted coronavirus, whether they're working um, in the healthcare system, whether they're working in, you know, food service, whether they're working in supermarkets and big box stores trying to help you with stuff. So like, it's real. And hopefully we can have a better attack plan as we go forward. And hopefully like we will stop like, and it's hard that I know that we have a president at the helm that is really just doing things to make sure that he looks good and not being effective. And that's what worries me the most about all of these states opening up right now that like, like we thought we were being effective. We've seen our numbers go down. Okay. It must be safe. And I'm still concerned that um, given that there's a two week crash with this virus, that seems pretty consistent with the individuals who contract it, who don't get better after a week. And also the, just that we actually don't, 
have like because we were social distancing, we flattened the curve, we started giving out ventilators and stuff to people who needed them more. Now we're gonna say, oh, that was a bad idea because we all decided to go out and cre increase vectors, increase the amount of people who have it, which then increases the percentage of people who will have con uh, long term complications and and ultimately death for some of those people so it's i'm yeah th this is the whole reason why i was frustrated about coronavirus from the beginning of this thing because like i feel like there is a uh, a solution that allows you to like maximize the amount of people that you can save while minimizing the level of economic impact that it can have and we haven't gotten anywhere close to that exactly well, man, um, I think we've uh, reached the end of our journey this week. I think um, so. Uh, as always, you know, that's a good message for us. I hope I uh, be cautious out there. People understand that um, all of these uh, measures are for your own safety. This isn't an attack on your way of life. This is an attempt to make sure you can continue that way of life. And uh, let's let's all keep the fight up. Let's wear our masks. Let's be reasonable in the social distancing and uh and hopefully we we get past this eventually and and we can uh we can look back at this nightmare and and recognize that we we had a job well done so uh Chaz, as always it's a blast uh, i'm glad we were able to do this uh hope to be able to do this with you in the same room one day yeah yeah for sure i'm gonna have to like slowly um get get all the like I, i'm slowly been trying to up my mic game and uh, and I think we're getting there, but like once once we are in the same space, we can both have our super mic game. So I'm looking forward to that. I like it. Well, uh, Chaz, as always, I appreciate you, man. Um, we uh, we we did good this week, and uh, here's to us uh, continuing the fight. And uh, and we'll I'll see you uh, on another episode in the future, man. Yeah, of course. Thank you for being out there, being the essential worker. Shout out to all the essential workers. And, and and tell me, too, because I want to say shout out. I want people to remember that essential workers are out there doing things. But I also know from my gilded cage right now, it's kind of bullshit. So, like, if you can tell us how we can really help you, like, you know, like, what we can actually do, like, use our platform, use our voice, use ourselves as individuals and being able to organize groups that help, how and help you as people because you're out there doing the damn thing, please let us know. Because I want to do more than just, like, thank you, essential yeah. workers, for being awesome. Yay. Like, and you probably like, fuck <laughs> Drop us a line at our email, hylbox at gmail.com. That's hylbox at gmail.com. It's a how you live in email box. Get at me at C-Town Mayor. And uh, that's on the Twitter sphere. And you can get at Chaz at Chaz underscore Baz. Instagram, TikTok. Yes, and sir. Uh, fighting the good fight near you. Uh, with that, Chaz, we out. Peace.